Wow. Coming to a theater near you. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, many know that I am not a person who, who typically shows his emotions publicly. You can say I'm kind of reserved and can be stoic. As a kid, I was often compared to the emotionless Star Trek character, Mr. Spock. I know some of you are nodding your heads out there. I can see you. Anyways, times that I really felt a tremendous amount of joy was at the birth of my two children. I love them both, but I have to admit the first is so special because he was the first. I remember leaving the hospital after he was born. I shot my arms into the air and I thought to myself, yes, I have a son. Now, do you remember that scene in the movie Rocky where Rocky Balboa is standing at the top of the steps with his arms raised high while the theme song Flying High Now played? That was me. Both of my children are precious to me. I would never think of doing any harm to them. But in a moment, we will see a story where God asked a father to do just that. And when his faith was tested, that man, being Abraham, was obedient and was about to sacrifice his only son until God stopped him. How, how could Abraham be able to do that, to willingly sacrifice a son that he had waited almost 100 years to see born? It was like taking his own life. I mean, could you do that? We are currently in a series called Walk by Faith, based on Hebrews 11. We have learned that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is a faith that means you are all in, a faith that believes God is the better choice. And today we learned that true faith has an eternal perspective, an eternal faith that frees one to sacrifice everything and anything because of an eternal perspective that sees abundance in God. Today's scripture is from Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, reading from verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had perceived the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And that is the word of the Lord. Abraham's faith was based on three things. First, it starts here. Abraham believed in God's character. Verse 17 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had perceived the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Abraham did not directly sacrifice his own life, but was ready to obediently sacrifice his only son, Isaac, who was basically his bloodline, and as such, equal to Abraham's own life. Abraham's faith allowed him to trust God's promise and risk everything he hoped for. How was Abraham able to trust God to sacrifice, in essence, his own life. From verse 17, the scripture tells us, Abraham received the promises from God, which I take to mean that Abraham had repeatedly experienced God's promises coming true in his own life, and not one promise, but multiple promises in the plural. 
Looking back in Genesis chapters 12 to 17, Abraham had evidence over and over again of God's faithfulness to him multiple times. God protected and blessed him when he encountered Pharaoh in Egypt over his wife, Sarah, who Pharaoh coveted. God blessed Abraham when he generously let Lot choose first a seemingly more fertile land to settle in when they separated. God was with Abraham when he rescued Lot from Sodom. And for sure, after waiting almost 100 years, God fulfilled his promise that Abraham and Sarah in their old age would have a son. One, Abraham's faith was based on more than the promise itself, but on the character of God. We have a God who is a promise keeper. And second, because verse 17 says Abraham received promises in the plural, I take this to imply Abraham trusted a God of abundance and not of scarcity. So question, how about you? Do you believe in the character of God, that we have a God of abundance and not of scarcity? Next, Abraham's faith is based on his belief in God's plan for the world, a plan bigger than just for himself. Verse 18 says, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. We have a culture in America that emphasizes the individual. Even for some, their theology often is focused on individual perspective and benefit. Oftentimes we think we are sacrificing for our own desires or dreams. It is somewhat easy to say, yeah, I can sacrifice. I will sacrifice for my education, my career, my family, for my ministry and life, and that I am the one to reap God's blessing. But we should understand that we have a God that is bigger than an individual. He is a corporate God, a God of all people. God asks us to sacrifice in a more radical way, to sacrifice for many others for his purposes. In the case of Abraham, sure, Abraham was promised that he would become a nation, that through his offspring, Isaac, he would birth a nation and his name would be made great. But the promise did not stop there. In Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3, God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to all families of the earth. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Followed by verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And catch this, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Contrary to our common thinking, God's plan is not to bless us alone individually, but to also bless many, that all can benefit. Abraham understood this and was obedient to God, even if God's commands did not make sense to his human mind, like sacrificing his precious son, Isaac, who was Abraham's bloodline, which proved to God that Abraham had a faith that freed him to sacrifice everything and anything because of abundance in God. Not my will, but your will be done. We are totally blessed by God if we understand this great principle. Jesus said in Luke 9, verses 24 to 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So question. Can you think outwardly about others as opposed to selfishly and only about yourself? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for the greater good of all? Abraham had a faith that believed in the character of God, that believed in a plan bigger than himself. And third, Abraham believed that God had resurrection power. Verse 19, he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. First, it's important to note that human beings are driven by immediate benefits rather than far-off ones. It is understandable that when one is young, death is only theoretical and so far off. The thinking is, resurrection power only matters when I die, and I'm decades away from that. Plus, often our faith is based on things we can see and are a sure thing, but that's not real faith. Faith that God demands is on things we may never see in our lifetime. Therefore, when faced with the concept of death, most people discount personal consequences, but paradoxically, they will care deeply instead about what they leave behind, their legacy. And Abraham had that kind of faith. Believing in resurrection power gave Abraham an eternal perspective. There's tremendous freedom when we also have that kind of perspective ourselves. That everything on earth is temporal. And in contrast, we have an eternity in heaven waiting for us when our earthly bodies cease to exist. That truth should free us to risk so much more because eternity awaits us through Jesus Christ. No matter how much good times or bad times we have in this life, it's merely a blip compared to eternity. An eternal perspective gives that mindset of abundance and not scarcity. And the immediate benefit of that freedom is having peace here and now. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 16 to 18 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal faith is a faith that frees one to sacrifice everything and anything because of an eternal perspective that sees abundance in God. We have been looking at Abraham's example of being able to sacrifice. How about you and me, especially those of us who call ourselves Christians? What would this look like today? For each of us, what it means to sacrifice is relative. Sacrificing dreams, sacrificing relationships, sacrificing career, sacrificing finances, sacrificing homelands, possessions, Easy for some of us, more difficult for others. The more precious we see what is to be sacrificed, the more difficult to do. What we feel is scarce is more challenging to give up than things we feel are abundant, right? 
here in, Ele in Hebrews 11, we are wrestling with the idea of a faith that is willing to sacrifice one's own life. As far as I know, we all only have one life. That, that makes it pretty pr precious. Not many of us are asked to actually literally do this, but for some, this is a reality. As some of you know, I am also in healthcare, a dentist for over 37 years. As a health provider, I'm used to being exposed to infectious diseases, like to name a few, TB, herpes, hepatitis, HIV, let alone the common cold and the flu, and now COVID-19. Understanding these risks, I still serve and treat my patients, knowing any of these diseases could get me seriously sick and even kill me. Many other healthcare workers have an even higher risk than me. During this pandemic, our frontline healthcare workers have been risking their lives by faith. To help us appreciate a faith like Abraham, I have invited Dr. David Liu to share his story, to give us some perspective. Hi, good morning, Pastor Calvin. Good morning, David. Thank you for being on with me. Uh, to get us started, here's my first question for you. Abraham sacrificed much to obey God's calling. How have you done the same as a, as a doctor? Yeah, thank you for that question. I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, before I do, I think I have to give a little context about what I do at the hospital. I'm an internal medicine hospital doctor at medical centers in Richmond and Oakland here in the Bay Area with the majority of my time spent in Richmond. Over the last three years, I've exclusively worked uh, the night shift as a so-called nocturnist. Um, overnight from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., I'm one of two doctors responsible for all inpatient care at the medical center, uh, including those patients in the ICU. I'm also responsible for admitting and caring all patients coming through the ER uh, that require hospitalization. And that's most of my 12-hour shift is actually spent in the emergency room or the ICU, caring for the sickest patients in the hospital during some of the busiest times and some of the fewest resources. Uh, what makes Richmond, the medical center I'm primarily at, unique is that it operates in a healthcare desert. Due to prior closures of other medical centers in the surrounding area, our medical center is the only remaining hospital for all of West Contra Costa County. Um, what that means is we have the lowest hospital bed per capita ratio in the entire Bay Area. There's just not enough beds. Um, we serve the poorest cities in the Bay Area where the annual income is as low as 19,000 a year with almost 20% living under poverty line. So to place in perspective, our ER in Richmond serves the same number of patients that our Oakland ER serves uh, and our Oakland Medical Center is four times the size of our Richmond Center. Even before the pandemic, our hospital was dangerously overcrowded with some of the most vulnerable patients in the Bay Area. And now with COVID-19, we're being stretched like never before. Um, I take care of patients with the coronavirus every night. I've encountered patients as young as six weeks old, um, up to centenarians and every age in between. The majority of my patients fortunately do not require hospitalization. However, those that do, um, they tend to stay in our hospital for weeks to months with really far too many passing away. Um, due to sweeping no visitor policies, these patients are completely alone. They're stressed, anxious, afraid, um, and inevitably their household family members are also infected. 
to the point where I've admitted entire families to the hospital on the same night or sequential nights. Uh, it's just been devastating for the community. Um, I've never had to convey so much terrible news and now on a nightly basis, and it's heartbreaking. It's incredibly hard. Um, but coming back to your question about sacrifice, I mean, my sacrifice seems pretty insignificant in comparison to those um, of the loss of my patients and my families. But the sacrifices, you know, along with my other frontline colleagues do come with a cost and a burden to us. Um, I won't get into the sacrifices that are required to get to where I am today as a practicing physician. However, I can talk about some of them um, some of the current sacrifices that I've had to make. The, the physical toll is, is grueling. Um, juggling multiple sick patients while trying to sneak in time to just meet basic needs, drinking water, eating. And then for me, you know, I return home at 8 a.m. after 12-hour night shift to three young boys at home, three months, two years, five years, to begin my second job. You know, I get about four to five hours of interrupted sleep during the day while trying to help basically homeschool the kids now and take care of them. And then I return for another 12 hour shift starting at 8 p.m. So there hasn't been any time for exercise. You know, our cooking at our household is basically reheating or takeout. Um, and I've literally worked to the point of exhaustion on one occasion at the hospital, passing out in the restroom and just waking up on the bathroom floor. Um, please know <laughs> this is one of those do as I say, not as I do moments as a doctor. But honestly, the hardest thing the biggest sacrifice right now is the emotional and the mental trauma that I and my, my colleagues receive. I personally work really hard, like really hard to provide the best care for my patients because I would want the same for my parents and my wife and my kids. But when medicine inevitably fails or unexpected events occurs or I make mistakes, when my patients don't make it, it's traumatic to me too. And I can't tell you how incredibly awful it is tell a patient or their family that, you know, we found a mass or it's terminal, we've done everything that we can and there's nothing else that we can do. The toll for me personally that it costs to be wholly present with these families who have to watch through glass, you know, as their loved ones go, it's, it's hard. To be a lightning rod for all the patients and their, their family's emotions that come with the uncertainty of this pandemic, with death and dying, in those moments, I really want to grieve with those families. I want to be there to process my own emotions, guilt, anger, sadness, responsibility. It would be great to have that personal release along with them. But the truth is that I can't. I have to compartmentalize that moment because I have to move on to care for the next very sick patient so that the next patient has my clear focus, has my clear mind so that I can give them the same care that I give everybody. So at the end of the shift, you know, I'm left with all these mental and emotional baggage of the last night's encounters, compartmentalized away for processing later because I have to sleep. You know, I have to be present for my family at home as well. And over time, these unprocessed encounters just eat away at me. It um, manifests as, you know, misplaced anger at home, as chronic fatigue, as depression. I mean, trust me, I know the weight of it all is really heavy and it can drive me to despair. It's a big sacrifice. Wow. Uh, I, I just want to encourage everyone hearing this to remember to pray for Dr. David and for all of our healthcare frontliners as they stand in a gap battling the pandemic. Uh, next question. When 
Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac, it would have been the same as taking his own life. How do you deal with knowing the risk to your own health, especially in light of the pandemic serving your patients? That's um, a great segue question for all the despair I just left us in. The short answer, though, is my faith in Jesus. And to unpack that, um, your question asks, how do we act in the face of fear? You know, for Abraham, and to some extent for me as a doctor during this pandemic, the the fear of death. Um, And I think it's okay to be afraid. In fact, fear can be a beneficial thing. Um, think, think of fear as the brain's equivalent to pain. You know, like pain, fear signals to us that something is wrong, something is not as it should be. Um, similarly, like pain, in excess, fear can be incapacitating. So how do we respond to fear, especially when we may feel paralyzed? Um, and that's where I go to my favorite scripture, and one of my favorite scriptures is John 16, Um to give some context, you know, after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus speaks to them all one last time before all the events leading up to the cross. And the very last thing that he says to his disciples before lifting them up in prayer is John sixteen thirty three, And Jesus says to them, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So my faith is in Jesus, the only one to overcome this world. All of that injustice, all the oppression, the hate, the fear, the sickness, the despair, even death, all of this, Jesus overcame through his death and resurrection, reconciling us to God. So every terrible thing that I've shared about my experiences in the hospital during this pandemic, I can lift up to God because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that I have hope. Hope for justice, hope for freedom, for love, for peace, for forgiveness, for grace, and ultimately for life. It's because of Jesus that death has lost its sting and death is no more. Great word. My final question for you, David. Abraham had a faith that risked everything, assured he had abundance from God beyond his imagination. As parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children in the ways of the Lord. What would you say to your own children about your confidence in God's promises? Now, this is such a great question and one that I've thought a lot about in the past. You know, how to teach my, my boys to have faith in God. And my short answer um, is know God's character. You know, Abraham was 100 years old before Isaac was born. That's 100 years, which Abraham built his relationship with God and got to know him. Abraham was an ordinary man, and he had some major screw-ups in his life. Yet God showed him love and grace and demonstrated his goodness to Abraham time and again for over 100 years. And it was from his faith in God's unchanging character that Abraham, as fearful as he was, was able to trust in God and place Isaac on that table. My, my favorite books growing up, and still one of my favorites, are the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. In the uh, second book, Prince Caspian, the youngest sister, Lucy, gets to meet Aslan again and says, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan replied, that is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that quote because it just shows that our faith matures 
as we get to know who God is and live our lives trusting in him, persevering even when we face trials of many kinds. As our faith matures, we know God to be bigger and bigger. And so I guess the first and most important question is, you know, what do we put our faith in? And for those listening who may not be Christians or who may not know God or Christ, I would encourage you to know and to explore who Jesus is. You know, you can start by reading some books, start by reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Um, Read the Bible, you know, start with the Gospels. Pick your favorite name, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and start by reading that one. You can also check out our home groups at Christian Lehman Church. We're all meeting virtually at this time, and I help along with my wife lead and, and host one of the young family groups. And we'd love to have you join with us, and I'd love to continue this conversation with you. And for those who have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to learn about God's character. You know, read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, read the Bible, pray, work on deepening that relationship with God and practice, really practice trusting him. You know, every night before I go into the hospital, I sit in my car and I pray. I ask God for peace, for wisdom. I pray for my colleagues. I pray for my patients. And after, I always feel an overwhelming sense of peace and clarity. These are really scary and confusing times, I know, but take heart. Our faith is in the one who has overcome the world, the one who has defeated death. Well, thank you, Dr. David. I really appreciate your honest sharing and your wise words. May God bless you and protect you during the season. And uh, i like to close with some final thoughts. So thank All you, right. David. Thanks, Pastor Kelly. Even during this pandemic, time marches on. The seasons of life, new birth and death press on. Just this this last week, I had the honor to officiate a memorial service. A story shared by the son of the deceased touched me and is so relevant for today. The son, who is a little older than me, shared a time when he was a young man when he wanted to learn how to fly a plane, but his father did not permit him to take flight lessons. It wasn't until recently in one of his last conversations with his father in the hospital that the son learned the reason why. His father revealed to him, I did not want you to risk piloting a plane because you are my only son, implying that his father saw his only son as precious and not willing to sacrifice his life. In contrast, take hope that we have a God that was willing to sacrifice his one and only son for the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That hope comes from our faith that we have victory over death itself through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior gives us that promise that we will not perish, but have eternal life. We have a God who promises, who keeps his promises, has plans bigger than you and me, gives to us abundantly, especially the gift of resurrection that leads to an eternal perspective. Eternal faith frees us to sacrifice everything and anything because of an eternal perspective that sees abundance in God. Amen? Let's pray. 
Again, from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is eternal comes through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, loving Savior, fill us up with your abundant grace and mercy. We so desperately need more of you and less of us. Help us to have an eternal perspective, to lay down our lives for you, living sacrifices, to serve you and love others in the name of Jesus. You have blessed us to be a blessing to others with sincere and grateful hearts. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.